I'm uh, Nicholas Todd, if you don't know me, and I serve on the pastoral team here at LEFC, and occasionally I'm given the blessed burden to preach or teach. Uh, this morning, we are going to begin with Psalm 77. We'll also be looking at 1 Samuel 3. Um, turn to Psalm 77, if you would, now. If you don't have a Bible, know that our ushers do have them, that they'll be walking the aisles. Just connect with them, and they'd be happy to pass one to you. If you're using the church Bible, know that Psalm 77 is page 406. So to bring everybody to the same place, we're in the midst of our series on prayer, knowing and understanding God. Prayer has been defined for this series as conversation between God and child, between God and woman, and God and man. Last week, Pastor Tony addressed a difficult time in many people's prayer life. What do you do when God doesn't? What do you do when a child is sick? You pray and the child doesn't get better. What do you do when you pray and pray and pray for a family member to come to pursue and follow Christ, but, but it doesn't happen? What do you do when the dream job you applied for, you don't get? Forget the dream job. What do you do when you need a job, any job? You need to pay bills and care for family. It just doesn't come through. Well, Pastor Tony ended his preaching with Psalm 77, and he outlined the chapter. Verses 1 through 5 were exasperated pleas for help. Verses 6 through 10 were recognizing your faith is at a crossroads, and questions start to spring up from it. Verses 10 through 20 is remembering what God has done, remembering the miraculous work of the Lord. And that's where I want to start. I'm going to start in verse 16, and I'm going to read through 20. Follow along with me. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And the writer of this psalm remembers the history of his people. As the Israelites were fleeing the oppression of Egypt, David looks at what happened for that freedom to be tasted. God acted on his creative design of nature and split the seas so that the Israelites could escape. But he doesn't just say that the sea was split. He says the dominion of God wasn't just on the surface of the waters and some waves occurred. But the depths, the very depths, all the way down to the ocean floor, the mysterious abyss that exists that, that very few of us know anything about, the Israelites walked on that. Humankind was walking on that seafloor. And as they're walking, lightning would be catching their eyes as they stumbled along the rocky seafloor. And then their ears would feel and hear the thunder that's occurring. And they're going to feel the earth trembling and quaking. And this is what David is remembering and acknowledging, giving credit to God for God's movement in nature so that freedom could be experienced. 
And why is such a testimony important? Why would he go here? Why is it important to remember? And I think verse 7 through 9 gives us that clue. When he writes, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? These are the questions that sprung up in the spiritual journey of David. And he asks these hard questions. Has God forgotten me? Has God walked off and left us? I don't see any more smiles. There's no more love, no promise of salvation. God, where, where are your manners? And so he responds by acknowledging the Lord. Credit to where credit is due. It is, it is a wonderful way to respond because it allows the character of God to remain after pointing that finger. I'd been thinking about this exchange between David and God, and the question that arose in me is, can we hear God. David is throwing these questions out there because his faith is being challenged in a time where I would say it seems he can't hear him. He can't hear God. Why would he be asking these questions if he could hear God? He's experiencing this feeling of abandonment, no love and rejection, and I connect that to hearing God. A rhetorical question to set us off. Can you hear God? If prayer is conversation between God and humankind, we might want to remember that it goes both ways. There's a give and take in conversation. Talking and what else is there? Listening, exactly. We frequently talk in prayer. Do we listen? If we're willing to listen... From where can we hear the wisdom of God? So today, I want to present to you some of the ways we might hear God, if we are willing to listen, and that's a key part. This isn't going to be a comprehensive list. It's just some ways that we can hear God, which already answers the question from earlier, can you hear God? Yes. So the three ways I'm going to talk about today are through the word of God, dreams and visions, and the voice of God in silence. Let's start by looking at hearing from the Word. If we believe that the Bible came from God and it came to the truth of God, then we can certainly hear from God by studying or reflecting on it. I don't want to overemphasize the word study. It's, it's yes, absolutely, study Scripture. But based on the story of many North American evangelicals, there can be this tendency to equate the knowledge of Scripture with intimacy with Jesus. And to that simple thing, I humbly say balderdash. Can't be true. Satan knew scripture. The temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4 shows this. He spoke scripture to Jesus, but it didn't mean there was any intimacy between them. Just because you can name all the disciples, just because you can rattle off the fruits of the Spirit, which that is a good thing, just because you know the kind of man Boaz was before he was married doesn't mean you've taken Scripture to heart. Boaz was ruthless. <laughs> I'm, I'm here all week, folks. All right. 
So, so how, do we, how, do we, how do we regularly engage Scripture? I cautioned the idea of Scripture just for knowledge. So how do we regularly engage Scripture and hear from the Lord? In our life group, Believing God Speaks Through Scripture, we've gotten together to read through a section of Scripture. As an exercise, it could be a chapter. It could be a section of a chapter. It could just be a couple verses. It doesn't really matter. There's no rules to the length. But we read through a section of Scripture three times, and it was most often it's been read by three different people. And here's why. The way each person reads, it's different. So phrases are said differently. Inflection changes, and the rise and fall of words hits people differently. So some short instruction is given. So for example, before the first reading, we might say, notice one word or phrase that catches your attention. Sit with that word or phrase. So you listen. Someone reads scripture, and you listen for a word or phrase, you identify it, and you just hold on to it. But for a second reading, you could give the instruction, ponder how this passage intersects with your on-the-ground life. The idea of identifying a word or phrase, and then considering how this phrase that you've latched onto intersects with what is happening in your life can often lead to seeing an invitation from the Lord. After reading it a third time, you respond to God openly about the phrase that caught your heart and how it's coming to life because of where your life is currently at. And you're working to possibly communicate what is being kindled in you in this moment that's impacting your personal journey with Christ. In all of this... We weren't asking for anybody to exegete the scripture or to explain the intricacies of some historical movement. Simply, what word or phrase in scripture is catching your heart and mind? Pause. Is God extending an invitation to you in this moment? And this is a practice that you can do on your own or you can do it in a group. And this is more about the depth of Scripture rather than the breadth of Scripture. The idea, at least for our context, is that it permits us to use what is already the cultural norm, the idea of studying Scripture and looking at it, the knowledge of Scripture. But now we're looking at heart engagement and personal awareness. You might know that thou shalt not bear false witness, one of the Ten Commandments, is about lying but you've never connected it with the great harm it does to yourself, your family, and the community around you. Engaging a text with your heart and your mind allows a person to change. We can hear God by reading and reflecting on the Word of God. Now we hold that scripture closely. What about dreams and visions? Dreams and visions are ways that the Lord can speak to you or anybody. It's wide open. We can start in Genesis to see examples. Genesis 15 begins with a vision. Abram hears from the Lord in this vision, reminding him of what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And when the ceremony takes place later in the chapter, we get the Abrahamic covenant. We see that, but it starts with a vision. 
Another Old Testament dream and vision angle is Daniel. In Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by this dream, and he couldn't sleep. And this is what's important here. A Christian might think that God only speaks to Christians. Take note that Nebuchadnezzar was not a worshiper of the one true God. Daniel shows up, interprets the dream, and in the end, Nebuchadnezzar falls before Daniel to pay him honor and says, surely your God is the God of gods. We see this play out again in Daniel 4. Let's look at the New Testament. A person might think it has to be a big, bold, shocking Nebuchadnezzar-style dream, which was about a kingdom, but it can be a little more simple, a little less to interpret. Matthew 1.20, Joseph was engaged to be married to Mary. Hearing that she was pregnant, Joseph would have ended it, but God sent an angel to him in a dream, telling him there's more to the story. He didn't divorce her. Acts 10, Cornelius fears the God of the Jews. He has a vision from God where an angel tells him where to find the apostle Peter and to listen to his message. Cornelius found Peter, listened, and what happened? Get out your bingo cards, people. We get oikos. Mark it. Cornelius and his household of Gentiles are saved by the grace of God. We can pull out of Scripture as well. Do you remember this image? In 2016, there were a couple weeks that we had prayer moments for Muslims during their time of Ramadan. Ramadan is a month of fasting. Fasting occurs from sunrise to sunset. It's also one of the five pillars of Islam. So in 2016, LEFC was responding to the question, how do we pray for Muslims during Ramadan? And on the third week of prayer, this was how we as a church prayed. Father, would you meet the expectations of Muslims to hear revelations in their dreams? Please fill their dreams with truth. May they wake and seek you. Father, Please use this time to reveal who Jesus is in his completeness to Muslims. May those dreams encourage Muslims to find out more about him. Father, would you send Christians who can help Muslims understand who the person of light is in their dreams. Help them to communicate his desire for their lives. What follows is a testimony from one of our missionaries but one of the people they interact with named Stephen. Stephen is a 17-year-old living among the unreached people we aim to serve. When Stephen was in junior high school, he had a dream. Stephen saw a light in a forest. As he approached the light, he saw and met a man in a radiant white robe and was overwhelmed with peace. After his dream, Stephen searched tirelessly for the answer to his question, who had he met in his dream? Having done some research, started meeting with a Christ follower, and beginning a study of the Bible, Stephen was convinced that the man in his dream was Jesus. He was baptized later after confessing faith and choosing to declare Jesus his Savior. So Stephen has a dream, and what does he do? 
He takes a journey to try to understand it. Goes to scripture with another person to reflect on what was seen in that dream. And he gives his life to Christ. May the Lord continue to give dreams and visions to all of creation. But what about hearing directly from God? A quick reference I want to make to something I think has the potential to be dangerous. John 10, 27 is a commonly referred to scripture reference regarding hearing the Lord. Now, in isolation, it says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I think it can be dangerous because I'm not convinced that hearing the Lord is the context of this specific reference. I think salvation is a better thematic word to describe this section of Scripture. So for your own study this week or in the coming weeks, consider John 10 for yourself. I want to look at 1 Samuel 3 and the story of Samuel and Eli. Eli was a Jewish priest who kept the tabernacle. He had two sons that violated the moral and legal role they were to fill, the priestly role. It was a, it was a lineage thing, meaning Eli would turn his responsibilities over to his sons. But that wasn't the case because of the wickedness of his sons. For the work to continue, another family line needed to be established. And through the Lord, Samuel. Key name here, Samuel was selected. Young Samuel was dedicated by his mother to the work of the Lord, and Eli was the one who raised Samuel. From a small child, Samuel was coached and taught to serve, to have his ear ready for that beckoning call. On page 187 in the Church Bible, this is 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10. Follow along with me. Verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Ooh, pause. Visions, dreams. It's in the first verse. Visions and dreams from God. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Let me explain some of this. Forgive some of the intensity that I just put there on Eli talking to Samuel, the child. But if you've ever been woken up at 2 a.m. by a child saying, my sock came off, you get it. (laughs) Verse 6. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Are you feeling it now? He's been woken up twice saying, hey, here I am. You called me. This is your fault, right? Absolutely not. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. 
So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Follow me now. It was late at night. It was already quiet, as silent as the common night might be. And on the third wake-up call, Eli, his mentor, realizes something is going on. And so he coaches Samuel into a posture of listening. In listening, more often than not, our mouths are closed. The night goes with Samuel. Uh, the night goes with Samuel, where he goes from silence to hearing his name a number of times to responding to silence again. And silence plays a really important role. Let's talk about noise by first talking about some of our other sen uh, senses. With our vision, if we see something we don't like to see, what do we do? We just, we just close our eyes. We stop seeing what our eyes were seeing. We just, we, just, we just do that. With a bad smell, if you don't want to smell it, what do you do? You can just hold your breath. You don't even have to use your hands. You just stop breathing. <laughs> but we can't just turn off our hearing. We can't just close our ears. We can work to ignore sound we can put our fingers in our ears, but then we can't use our hands. We can't just turn it off. We're constantly being assaulted with sounds. And we can also measure sound. Does anyone know what word we use the unit of measure is for sound? It's decibel. You measure things in decibels. So forethought, a rock concert would measure somewhere between 100 and 110 decibels. Our welcome space, where many of you got coffee this morning, that measures at 100 decibels. Now, that's interesting because our worship service, the loudest parts of our worship service, usually when music is being played, only measures at 90 or 91. With nobody in this space, just the noise of a building operating, the building existing, it's about 40 decibels. It's pretty similar to my office. If I do any videography, if I'm recording anybody, I will intentionally turn the breaker off on our HVAC to kill all the extra sound. 40 is really noisy when you're trying to record something. I was in the woods this last week and was curious how loud nature was. 36 decibels, still a lot of noise. A whisper is about 20 decibels. Breathing is 10 decibels. Now, much of sound bounces or reflects off, off of things. It echoes in one way or another. Incredibly, um, to conduct tests and measure sound equipment, science and technology people has been able to build spaces that work to have no reflected sound, no echo at all. The purpose of these spaces is to be as quiet as possible to get the purest measure of sound. The ambient noise in these spaces start to get into the negative numbers. As I was reading about this, something jumped out to me. 
One writer said that in the negative numbers, there are, there are only two sounds you hear. One of them is believed to be the spontaneous firings of the auditory nerve. Basically, your brain is turning up the volume on your auditory nerve because it's not, it's not receiving anything. But you still hear something. You hear a high-pitched sound. But that sound is actually your nerves working and not a sound. Crazy, right? You are hearing your body function. The other thing you hear is your own heartbeat. It was at minus 13 decibels that most could hear their own hearts beating and their blood moving. As we think about prayer, knowing how our own hearts, our own hearts beat, being honest with who we are at our deepest places, it allows the best conversation with God. And it's at minus 13, an incredible place of silence that we can start to hear that. Noise is really distracting. We have mobile phones, music playing, TVs can be on the background. We have alarm clocks in the morning. With music, phones, people, there's an outrageous number of words that come into your mind in life. And because there's so much that you're receiving, we start to use filtering skills for a certain level of sanity. But we can start to use those filtering skills on God. With the news you might listen to, your mind might be wandering and you listen for just the keywords. With books and print text, we look for section dividers in bold print to determine if we should read that section or not. We might even need to or want to read a whole book, but instead find a summary instead. Just the important stuff. When we listen to people, if we determine that what the person is not if we determine that the person is not saying anything significant, we block out their, their words and listen to our own. We begin to mostly glance and skim through words and people because there is just too much happening. And then our relationship with God becomes just a glance, just a bold heading with a memorable, catchy summary. But that's not the Christian life. Silence can connect us to God. And silence takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of practice, and it takes a lot of intentionality. A planned silence invites the Christ follower to leave behind the noise, to leave behind the outer world for time alone with Jesus. Silence invites the believer to minus 13 decibels to hear their own heart and eventually the heart of God. Where was Samuel when he heard the voice of the Lord? It was the middle of the night in silence. Here's a caution. We might begin to notice some things we would rather not feel in silence. Without the distractions... Pockets of anger might come. Impatience. Maybe, maybe loneliness could rise up in you. You might start to feel like you're wasting your time. Doesn't that feel like the biggest North American sin ever? To waste time? In those moments, you should ask why you, why you feel that way. 
those feelings of anger, impatience, or loneliness, that you're wasting your time, consider those invitations to prayer. Silence opens the contents of our heart, allowing us to more fully engage God with who we are in that moment. And you need to have a long vision for this because the benefits of being silent are often seen in the fruit it bears rather than the actual experience of silence. What do we do with this? What do, we, what do we do with believing that the Lord can speak through Scripture, through dreams and visions, and silence? Well, first I say rejoice, celebrate. We can hear the Lord through the reading of Scripture. We can hear the Lord through dreams and visions, and we can hear the Lord's voice in silence. But what are possible steps or movement that you can take that's based on trusting that we can hear God? Here's a couple. Commit to a time of silence. In previous sermons, there was a challenge to pray for five minutes a day. Consider taking the challenge of silence with God for five minutes a day. Set a timer for five minutes. Don't watch it. Settle into that quiet. Take the words of Eli and Samuel for advice on where to start. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then, listen. I think you can accept some things now to set yourself up for success. Our mind makes connections and wanders. Don't judge yourself as a failure based on the trails your mind takes. Simply return to listening attention to Jesus. Imagine how happy he is that you turned back to him rather than beat yourself up as a failure. We can hear the Lord. Maybe so for each of us. Pray with me. In our time of reflection, Lord, would we join together in pursuit of you? Even in the noise, the music, all that tumbles through our minds, can you help us to return to you? Can we hear your encouraging voice that you love us and that you desire our approach to your throne exactly as we are? I ask for ears to hear you. Amen. John 16:12 says, "I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear." What if it's the noise we have placed in our lives that prevents us from hearing the truth about ourselves, which in turn prevents us from hearing a more complete view of God, which then prevents us from communicating the gospel truth to others. Go now, awakened to the voice of God, who speaks. May we quiet our souls and sit in silence with our Creator, 
would we see our frustrations in silence as invitations to prayer? And would we hear the voice of our Savior urging us on, knowing he has much more to say to us? If you would like to pray with somebody today, know that we have people underneath the cross. Our series will continue next week. I challenge you to find times of silence this week, just between you and God. Go in peace.